Hi, my name is Kaya Scott and this is Uncommon. Uncommon is a production by Naral, a full-service digital agency. If you want to grow with a premium agency and have the ability to work with Jordan directly, then learn more at naral.com slash media and request a callback. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media. Welcome to another episode of Uncommon. My name's Jordan Michaelides and I'm your host. In this episode, I sit down with Kaya Scott. Kaya is the founder and creative director of One Day Bridal and Chosen by One Day. Being that Lauren and I are in the early stages of planning our wedding, I thought it made sense to get probably one of Australia's greatest success stories in the space of weddings, so to speak, to pick their brain on how it all really works. And I think that Kaya's story is one of the classic tales of entrepreneurial resilience shaped by a personal itch that needed to be fixed through the creation of her own personalized wedding gown. We covered a lot in this episode, including her love of textile design and how that actually started, parenting values and challenges, advice for future mothers, reflection and scaling, creating custom gowns, fabric innovation and horror stories, of course. Many thanks to Laura Henshaw, Instapants, Monet, Susie Jamel, and Anonymous underscore 112. Uh, love all your reviews. I know I asked some of you to do that, but we are pushing for 100. So if you're listening to this, if you've enjoyed an episode in the past, do leave us a rating on your Apple podcast app. Share with your friends, take a screenshot, post on your Instagram story, tagging us at uncommon underscore show. You can watch the episode in full, search Uncommon Show on YouTube, and don't forget to like and subscribe. Show notes and all previous guests are at neural.com slash podcasts. With that being said, thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Kaya Scott. All right, Kaya, we're here finally. We are. I know. When you first sent the email request for this, I remember thinking it is so far away. I know. I'll just put that in the calendar and won't worry about it. And then this week I was like, oh, my God, we're in December. <laughs> I know. We we are booked out till February at the moment. It's crazy. Yeah, so we've – the problem for us is that we do one a week. So if, if all of a sudden someone cancels, you've got to have occasionally like a, a backup or – someone that can fill it. And so we, we often, but as well, I often pitch a bunch of people. Let's say I pitch eight people and more and more we're getting everyone that comes back. And I'm not, like I'm used to the days of like 20, 30% coming back. And so yeah. <laughs> now, now everyone's like, yep, I'll jump now, in. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure, no worries. And so I'm like, oh, uh, <laughs> we're not free until March. Sorry. And they're like, oh yeah, sure, whatever. I don't, I don't do anything for two weeks ahead. Yeah, and then I'm following up on people and like, um, the last week of December, I just had like two cancellations. Oh, that's so Because annoying. they're like, you know, they're actually, pla- they're like, oh, yeah, it's the, it's the, the silly, silly season. season. And ev- there, it really feels like silly season has hit full gear this week, I reckon. Yes. Like, I feel like everyone's like, I've got Christmas parties, I've got, you know, um, lunches, and it feels like everyone's in full swing, which it, is exciting. I love Christmas. I, I, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It is. It is. Um, there's no <laughs> doubt, like, having a big Greek family. Catching up with the family is the thing I like the most. Um, but it's, I don't know, I find it weird at the moment, the fact that 
it's not even December and yet I feel like everyone has checked out. That is so true, actually. I, I feel the same way. And I feel like everyone's got their Christmas trees up. It's not Already, even December. Yeah. I, yeah, I feel like Do I'm behind. <laughs> I don't have mine yet. Um, isn't it December? You're not. You're meant to wait. Yeah. But I feel like everyone. I feel like there's a lot of Christmas decorations already up around the burbs. So I know in America they they typically get it now just in time for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Mm. But here, like Lauren's parents, like we're going down next weekend. We go down every month to visit them. They they sort of live around Dramana, Mount Martha oh, yeah, area. Love that area. Great area. Um, and they've already got their tree. Yeah. And I'm just like, hmm, should we, should we be getting a tree? We're not really having anything anything Christmassy here. The smell is good, though. The smell is amazing. It, it it's, does get you into the Christmas spirit. It, if you were to pick, like, your top smells, bit of a weird question. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what are my top smells? <laughs> what, what are they? Ooh, top smells. I mean, a Christmas tree is something special because we're on the topic. Yeah. My favourite perfume I love. Yeah, because you have a very recognisable perfume. I noticed that when... When it came in, it's not Leocetane, is it? No, it's a New York brand called DS and Durga, and the name of the perfume is called I Don't Know What. But I get stopped uh, okay. a lot and asked what it is, and I love it. I can't smell it when it's on me, which apparently is a good sign. Probably a good sign, yeah. Yeah, but I love the smell when I first spray it. So yeah. I love that. I wear, uh, I remember the reason I smell, smells is like my thing. Smells and probably tastes. I used to work as a, a wine waiter before I got into the finance really? space at, at while I was studying at uni. And I just remember, like, because you was, had such a heightened sense of smell, someone would come out of the bathroom. <laughs> it w- wouldn't be a bad smell. I was about to say, what sort of smells? Because we, we had, like, Leocetane sort of um, yeah, beautiful. hand wash, and you could smell it. Like, that moisturiser is amazing, the blue is. one. I don't know what that... Yeah, what is it called? I don't know what that one's called, but the blue hand moisturiser brand is amazing. And they'd be walking down, like, I could literally, like target them and they'd be mm. walking down this walkway and you're like, wow, I just need to, like that smell is really, really amazing. But I don't know why. Smells have always been. Yeah. Rain sometimes, like you know that. Yeah. I like the smell of rain. Sort of at the, this time of year you sort of get like. Um, when it's more tropical. Yeah. Versus just cold, wet and horrible Melbourne weather where it's like more like a fresh rain. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Like the rain that you get in winter is more like um, numb hands. Yeah. <laughs> Sort of wanting just to get another inside. Day. <laughs> <laughs> just another day. Now, Simon, as I was saying before, he gave me um, gave me some things. He said you were clean as a whistle, <laughs> um, which I agree with him. But he did come back to me and said uh, he wanted to ask you, how did you go with the all-women staff party at Buxton Bentley <laughs> having all dudes? Yeah, so we... Um the Buxton group, um, very good friends, particularly with the Bentley boys. Mm. Um, and they're at that stage, they were predominantly male office and I was an all-female staff. Um, so we decided that to mix numbers and make them just a little bit more even that we'd combine our Christmas parties <laughs> for a couple of years. I can't remember if it was two or three years in a row that we joined them. And look, they are a good time. Yeah. So <laughs> we had a great time. The girls had a great time. I think the boys had a great time. So, yeah, it was good fun. So you uh, that reminds me of like the hospital days. You'd have like separate all girls, all guys party and then everyone sort of meets on another day. Is that what was happening typically? What do you mean? So Like so when I remember working at the Newmarket Hotel yeah. every year, we all no one got tips so we'd keep all the tips. tips. And then the guys and the girls would go out and they'd have their separate day. Oh, really? And then the company would pay for like a um, 
like a proper, you know, this is the whatever group Christmas party type thing. And that was when everyone came together. Well, because we only have the one celebration a year. So, it was just all in. It was all in. It's all in. And those boys were the same. So, that was their time to shine. (laughs) And they really did. (laughs) And, you know, we brought our best too. So, they were some pretty wild nights. Good fun. Yeah. Where did you grow up? I grew up in... Elwood initially until I was about 13 and then down to Blackrock um, where I still live now. Okay. Did you go to Furbank? I did. You did go to Furbank? I did, okay. yes. Were you one, like Lauren, one of those kids who started in like kindergarten or something like no, that? No, 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 no. I was a little bit later, year five. So okay. um, went to Elsterwick Primary School when I was young and then moved across there when I was year five. Okay. Which was good. Yeah. A good yeah. age, I think. I think so. I mean, I, I remember starting at Brighton Grammar in year seven. My brother started in year five. Year five is one of those things. I don't know why everyone leaves in sort of year four. I remember the primary school. I went to St. Joan of Arc in Brighton yeah, yep. um, for for a few years. And I remember in year five, when I started there, there was three boys left. Oh, really? Yeah. I think the mentality of my parents at the time was we'll get you into um, – into a school where you're going to finish, obviously, your high school and build a friendship group and yeah. start to sort of – and it won't be such a scary transition. But also you're more – like because that's the thing is when you get to the senior school, that's when applications start coming in heavy. Mm. So maybe it's like they they allow kids who are already year five and six to get in to on get that, in, that's true. that group. I reckon there's something in that. I reckon you're right there. <laughs> they would just like get her in. <laughs> yeah, just get her in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, look, I'll forever be thankful that we went to um, uh, a private school like Brighton Grammar. I think uh, mainly lucky because my brother got that scholarship. Mm. Um, I don't. I think I would have gone to CBC. Oh, yeah, I knew a lot of CBC kids. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. I mean, I was so incredibly lucky. I wasn't an academic student. I wasn't necessarily applied either. I was quite distracted. I'm quite, even to this day, I'm quite impatient and, you know, I don't, I I do get frustrated with things that take a long time. So in school and my dad was quite sick when I was in high school, but Furbank in that respect was very good at tutoring me, keeping me in line and keeping me sort of at the end of the day, I got got a great score and, and finished quite well. Never made it to uni or did, but four times in different things, never. Yeah. I know you did graphic design for a bit, right? Yeah, Yeah. for a little bit. You know, multimedia business design. I did law for a bit. That's right. Um, and kept trying, but it's just not a place for me. I think I'm more visual, creative, I need to be doing more so than learning. Yeah, and it's probably a good thing that you realise that. A lot of people spend years at university not realising it's probably not. like, And that's the thing now is a lot of people who really should just be a builder. Or exactly. a carpenter or some sort of trade. There's great opportunities and money in that yeah. landscape, but I feel like it's always been looked upon. It's always been frowned upon. Always. And I feel like this, there's so much opportunity there. Yeah. Um, and if you know that you're not going to be that person that's going to, you know, succeed in a uni degree, why put yourself through that torture after you've just been <laughs> through school? Like- <laughs> I could really agree. I think, yeah, that, that was one thing that I noticed at high school, it was it was really frowned upon. Like they tried to push out a lot of the kids, um, not push them out, but they really wanted the cream of the crop in the in year 11 and 12. So they Absolutely. would – and probably that was a good thing to make recommendations to people like maybe you should just go to Sandy, you can do your uh, like VCAL or – I think it was VCAL back then yeah. where you do like sort of a – 
part trade type trade, thing. That's right. But you're and still finishing school. Exactly. Um, yeah, I remember that actually. I think that was a good thing. But when you were growing up, what did you think you were going to be? Like, did you always have like an idea? I know the police officer thing. Yeah, I definitely thought, you know, I I don't think I realised until a lot later how, even until I was in the police force, how creative I actually was. Mm. I always, and I didn't realise it was, wasn't something that not everybody had. I thought that everybody just had that in them. Um, I was quite naive in that respect. And so, you know, I, I did when I was younger think that I would, probably go down the police force path, which is what I, I did straight after school, mm. um, but then quickly learnt that maybe that wasn't for me and, and needed to pivot and do something different. So other than that, I did love the graphic design side as well and architecture and interiors, anything that sort of had that creative element where you were sort of designing or creating a space or creating something with mm. your own aesthetic applied to it, I really enjoy. And still to this day I do like – you know, when it's your ha- my house, you know, or designing a new project or even all the creative with the business, I still am very involved in every facet of that. What, what do you think it is that um, you like about that? Is it the creating element? Is it the aesthetic thing where you look at it and you go, that looks really nice and it matches for me? And <laughs> it's sort of like a conscientiousness in design, exactly. if that makes sense? Yeah, and creating this your own world, essentially, that's, you know, everything that you love about it. And I always say it's it goes beyond the product. It needs to be, you know, how it's presented to the customer, how they experience it in store, how the tone of voice that we use across our two different brands. So it it's not just one element of design. It, it goes across so many different platforms that you have to bring it all together to create this world or this universe. Yeah. It's very interesting. I, I've always wondered why Why do um, women in particular over-excel in the design space? Why do men struggle with it? I remember re- Lauren showed me this thing recently that she had from – because she did graphic design. Yes. Um, one of those groups and they sent this research and it showed that like women have a higher concentration of – um, something in, not their retina, it's something in the eye that allows them to identify objects in a more intricate detail, if that makes sense. Really? That's yeah, so, so interesting. Yeah, so that, that's the reason why women appreciate um, really intricate, like if you look at a lot of um, women's design, there's a lot of, there's a lot more patterns on average. Mm. I think they, this is part of this study. They did like a yeah, statistical wow. analysis on patterns and colours and all that sort of stuff. And men's stuff is really blocky. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Well, yeah, in gen- you know, generally speaking, yes, probably. But there's not much, uh, uh, if I think about it, like me and, and, and what guys wear, there's, n- there's never much pattern to it. No, and it, de- well, it depends on the brand and the aesthetic or the, you know, like you said, there might be, there is plenty of um, incredible male fashion designers, oh, but yeah. um, they probably play on that one thing that they've got and yeah. really sort of go down that path and create things around. If it is pattern, it's, you know, all pattern. Yeah. Whereas it doesn't probably then dip into the more plain and simple side of things. Maybe. Yeah. Not it's sure. quite, it's quite <laughs> rare though. Like it is, I, I just noticed, um, yeah, looking at the study they were talking about like, all the big, ha- um, what is it, the design houses like Louis Vuitton and Gucci mm. and how, who normally leads these companies. And it, it was it was super interesting. I just didn't think it came down to that intricacy no. of the eye. But it makes sense because if, if you can identify things at a sharper rate, then you're going to have more talent in yeah. selecting things. Interesting. I'll have to read up on that. Yeah. I'm really it's very, very interesting. Um, 
you would you were making tracksuits as a kid. I know that. <laughs> Did you? Was there a design thing that you thought? Oh, this is this is sort of the thing that I really love to do. Like Lauren used to tell me that she used to make dolls' houses. I was very surprised to hear, like, because yeah. there's no there's no record of it. There's no photos of her with no. it. But that was one of her things as a kid. Yeah, absolutely. Like jewelry making, I used to really love in high school. All oh, right, and used to even sell some of it, and would just make big earrings and then sell it. And like to me, it was just fun. Um, when I was younger, Barbie's clothes. Okay. was a thing. My sister, um, Stephanie, who I've got um, three siblings. She's the one after me. She was more into Barbies than me and very much sort of the typical princess. So she'd make me, you know, make Barbie clothes with her on the weekend so that she could dress up all her Barbies. <laughs> um, and then, like I mentioned, yeah, mum made me make my own tracksuit pants, which was terrifying. Um <laughs> But I think at the time I enjoyed it. I didn't love it. I definitely wasn't like, this is what I'm going to do. Otherwise, I would have probably had a much more um, direct path to fashion. But I was always interested in it and always Mm. interested in the different fabrics and how you would piece together a garment and, you know, what the machine could do and how you could use it, utilize it in different ways. And then watching mum with her sports brand build that and, and, have all the clothes there and I found it fascinating that she could, you know, come up with an idea and then watching that transition into Mm. an actual garment was – I really enjoyed that and that's when I went through my wedding dress process, that's where the fascination picked up again of like, wow, this is incredible. I've seen a sketch and now – and then it's gone into calico and the steps and then just that magic kind of evolving. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of how, like, if I go to Dad's print factory, I love smelling the paper. Yes. Do you have? Did you have a thing like that? Seeing your, did your mum have like a factory, or did she do it from home? She or? did a lot of it from home, but we used to go to the factories in Collingwood because she used uh-huh. to. That's where she would have it produced. So I remember always like going through all the racks and seeing all the machines and just <laughs> sort of you know subconsciously taking it all in, but not being particularly interested because you never want. Oh, I didn't want to do what my parents did. You know, you, you don't want to fall in that trap. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do what you're going to do. And then, you know, here we are. <laughs> do, you, do you find that more and more as you get older, you realise that more and more you're like your parents, like a perfect meshing of your parents? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's, you know, sometimes words come out of my mouth and I will even say all my sister. I, I work with my brother and my sisters and they'll be like, that's mum. <laughs> and, it, and it terrifies me, you know, that <gasps> I can't believe I just said that. Um <laughs> Because <laughs> I do a things. wonderful woman, but yeah. you know you you don't think that you are going to turn it, especially with parenting. I have a six year old daughter, yeah, and so a lot of you know the sort of values I guess we're trying to instill in her, or when we're telling her off, or you know disciplining her. That's literally my parents coming out of my mouth. Uh-huh. <laughs> have you, do you think there's like anything in the business that transitioned? No, you would have started the business before you had your daughter. So it started 2011, it's now 2019, she's six. It would have been two years into it. Two years in, which was um, Willa, love her, but she was a definite surprise. Um, (laughs) I actually didn't find out until I was 11 weeks pregnant that I was pregnant. I was just not very in tune with myself and also just running the business and kind of in that really small stage of small business where I was doing everything. So from the inquiries to... Um, the fittings to the consultations, the designing, the, you know, bookkeeping, 
ev- invoicing, everything was, and the production schedules, everything was being run by me at that stage. Uh-huh. And couldn't work out why I was getting these headaches. And then a client actually said to me, have you thought that maybe you're pregnant? And I was like, oh, no. And then went straight to the chemist. (laughs) And lo and behold, I was. And that, you know, in some ways I'm really grateful. It was a shock. But in hindsight now, it really made me put some processes in place then. Yeah. Um, it was very, it was highly stressful on so many different levels, especially ha- once I had Willa. Um, she, I, within the week I was back at work. Oh my God. Are you um, serious? Yeah. I bought my, on the way home from hospital, I stopped to see a client because I'd really mucked this girl around. Um, oh and she was a bride. God. Brides, you can't muck around brides. <laughs> and so I stopped and I'd had an emergency Caesar, so I was quite sore. So I couldn't sort of stand up. So my mum came with me and I held Willa as a, a newborn on the way home from hospital and mum helped me put the gowns on her while I directed from sitting on the floor. Oh, Kaya, fucking um, hell. So <laughs> challenges like that and then just little things like I was breastfeeding her and then having clients, I didn't feel comfortable feeding her in front of clients. So, And I was still getting used to when you would feed her and when you wouldn't feed her and so I'd be to clients, I couldn't really give them a set time, which – Girls want set, anybody wants a set time for an appointment. But yeah. I was like, oh, I'm actually running an hour late. I'm not sure because I don't know when she's going to stop feeding and I don't know if she's going to go to sleep. And <sighs> I would sit in my car and feed because the studio wasn't big enough at that stage for, you know, multiple people to be in there. It was very small. So I look back on that time and it was extremely stressful and I would never do it the same again. But it did teach me a lot and it did make me put things in place so that other people, it taught me how to lose control a bit Mm. and how that's not such a bad thing. And that if you teach people right, they can actually step in and help you and and excel. But it was very scary at the time. I've had this conversation with Lauren, like what happens if, because the great thing about having your own business is the flexibility, right? So you you can have a child quite easy. And this is something my auntie has spoken to us about because she Mm. ran her business when she had her kids and, you can do both, but you've got to have things in place that prevent you from having a nervous breakdown. And so if you were to look back on that time and you were, you were to say to the Laurens of the world who in the next two years are probably going to have a kid, maybe they're running a business already, what what are some of the most crucial aspects or things that they can look at now? Th- you know, I think setting yourself up well before the baby arrives. Yeah. So having someone that you've handed you know, your role to that understands the business, understands. And if, you know, not every business can afford that either. So is it even just on a part-time or a contract capacity where they can come in and just relieve that pressure off you? Because it is, you know, as a new mum, you're so, it's so daunting. It's so new. You're tired. You actually, you know, in some ways you switch off to the business, which I never, ever thought I would. Yeah. Um, But it doesn't become your priority anymore. Where And, you know, that is your baby and then all of a sudden you're like, no, but I've got a human that (laughs) needs me first. And I think that's what I was quite shocked at is that, you know, the business I loved and I lived and I breathed it, but I, like, I just, it didn't even come into my mind some days because I was just too consumed with trying to work out how to be a mum, you know, how to 
get the, all the washing done, what food I needed to prepare even just for myself, how to get a shower in during the day, you know, how to if I had to go to work during the day, Willa hated the car, so could I time it so that she could sleep so then I wouldn't build my own anxiety up while she was driving and screaming all the way to work and then walking in like red-faced, flushed, stressed on a higher level of energy. Wow. So just I think having someone that you can rely on to back you up and maybe relieve some of your day-to-day stuff yeah. yeah absolutely so it sounds like it made you a better entrepreneur absolutely in hindsight at the time though I would never wish that upon my worst nightmare <laughs> because and I'm you know I'm as a person I'm very much an ideas person and and love looking at strategy and and bigger and better ideas and how can we do things differently and you know what are we not doing well enough but when it comes down to detail I'm not that person yeah and it wasn't until after that whole experience I realized no that's where I need to hire in and get get a bookkeeper that loves looking at spreadsheets I couldn't think of anything worse (laughs) so you know let's get a bookkeeper that loves reconciling accounts and working out how to save money and how to you know run the accounts better or the invoicing in a better way and for me at the time I hadn't identified that but moving forward it's definitely that's in the business in general is if I'm not good at it get someone in that is yeah I'm just trying to think with the business in particular, like was that the moment that took it from being this sort of I'm working in the spare bedroom at home to it being like, do you think that that forcing function to get those other people, even if they were part-time, contract, whatever, mm. to do those day-to-day things allowed you allowed it to grow more than it ever could? Or do you think it would have do you think you would have progressively got there? Or do you think that moment was the one where it's sort of just like a a hockey puck moment. No, it was interesting during that time. I had a lot of reflection time as well. And what I noticed about my business in particular and One Day Bridal was that I had a business that was so reliant on me in every aspect, particularly client facing. And, you know, I always say One Day Bridal was my diploma of business and then chosen by One Day (laughs) is my actual business. (laughs) You know, One Day Bridal taught me all the lessons and then I decided while I was on maternity leaves and looked into the way that America's bridal industry ran and it was very different to ours and identified that it was actually they controlled their costs, they there was a lot more efficient and the way that they did things wasn't by not every single customer was a customised gown. It was, you know, similar to sort of a suiting thing. You went in and you tried on dresses and then you picked one and you ordered it in your size and then you had it altered to you on mm. arrival. And that to me just made sense, you know, the way that uh, at a lower price point. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that makes so much sense. Why haven't I been doing that? Why <laughs> have I been doing this painful, you know, custom. Girl, yeah, custom where girls would lose weight and that would be my problem to fix, but it might take me 16 hours to fix that problem on God. my time. And, you know, your margin slowly is decreasing, decreasing, decreasing. So that's when sort of, you know, Chosen started and that's been the business that really, you know, is the bread and butter essentially. And also it allowed me to be a bit more creative because I was saying, this is my design. We're not going to collaborate on this. This is the design. This has been designed this way because it works Mm. and it looks best on the body this way. And you can make tweaks, but this is how it is. Yeah. And I think the the Chosen brand is probably what will give you scale and Mm. and an ability to do more as a business. And I think that one day we'll probably over time 
be the thing that gives you fulfillment. Absolutely. And, and I find like that's what it is. Like this podcast makes zero dollars. It costs us a <laughs> shitload of money to make every year, although we may have just found um, a few sponsors. That's exciting. Um, which is exciting, which at least makes us break even on it. But I feel like people don't talk about it. Like yeah. the first three to four years of my business, I didn't earn a single dollar. No, you don't earn shit. Like not a single <laughs> cent. If anything, I was putting money in and <laughs> losing <Yeah>. money. Um <laughs> Yeah, my business has a massive loan. That exactly, but yeah. nobody talk, like everyone just has this assumption that you're flying. Yeah, but really, you know, in the background, you're sort of riding. First of all, the cash flow wave, yeah. which is you know temperamental many times of the year, and then also, yeah, it's really difficult. And as you you know, for you know, having babies, for instance, you know, if I'm paying someone else, it's not, it's not me paying me. Yeah. So that was very difficult. But chosen has given us the opportunity to scale in 38 different locations now. It's, you know, it's got a fantastic manager that runs that business. Yeah. And it and it's fun. Your husband, um, yes. this is really the trigger. I mean, you, you didn't like the bridal experience yourself, but it was your husband that gave you the push to go out and do this. I, I've got no doubt uh, through all the blood, sweat and tears in the first two years in particular, the hardest years, he would have pushed you to continue going. And that his wage would have probably been the saving grace for you guys was. if you're not earning anything <laughs> in the first four years. What what did he teach you in particular about the business and and those few years, those early few years? I'd say. I think in those early few years, I di- I wouldn't have backed myself. There mm. is no way known that I thought that I had the capability or the talent to do what I've done, but he was the one behind me pushing me going, absolutely, you can do this. You know you've got a great idea. You know you've got a great creative aesthetic. You know that you can do this. Go and do it. We'll work out the rest later. Mm. And I think having that faith in me from the beginning and that support and it was never any resent that I'd put us into a, you know, a really tricky situation personally. And even to this day, you know, there's so many things that we could have done if I'd just gone down the, you know, stayed in the police force and earned my 80 grand a year and he earned whatever he earned. We'd probably be in a much better position personally right now, but it was like, no, this is the bigger picture Mm. and you need to be happy and fulfilled and this is what you want to do and you're good at it. So go and do it. Do you think there – I know you thought there was a massive opportunity here to – and I know that you went and bought some fabric, which you wasn't too happy about. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think there was like an aha moment where – like who was the first person that you sold to? Because the harder sale in a way is the first sale, but I often find that the second sale is the harder sale. To back it up yeah. is even harder. Do you do you remember those first little – I can remember those first few clients and – you know, in those days, I was what I had realized and identified was that I needed, in order to build a good reputation or a portfolio of work, I needed to do things a lot cheaper. Yeah. Than what I would ordinarily want to charge, <laughs> but I needed some work, and at the time I couldn't afford to make samples, so I had to sketch. And that's one thing is I can do is I. Sk- I can sketch, but I'd literally have these girls come and see me and I would sketch and be like, I promise you I'll do a good job. Like that's all <laughs> they got from me. And thank goodness for those first few that really did trust me and took the leap of faith and, and went with me and we had a great time. And there's some, you know, I have really fond memories of that time. And some, and they also inspired me, the clients themselves. So mm. it sort of started to lead me down the path that I knew I was going to take. Um, 
and what sort of designer I wanted to be. So Yeah, and you can see then the way that you design with the dresses. Like I know obviously Steph Claire Miller just I got know. married. Oh my gosh, that sounds so strange. <laughs> it's very strange. But <laughs> you named one of your dresses after her, the Smith dress. Yes. So I could see how that would happen regularly. The they sort of act as a uh, Almost like a muse. Uh, yeah, like yeah. a muse or inspiration in a way as part of that design process. I love the collaborative part of um, when I do a custom gown with someone because and I, when I meet my clients, I always say to them, you know, the open communication and honest communication is really important between us. Um, and I want to work because most of the girls that I do work with at that custom level, they know themselves, they know their style, yeah. they know their bodies, they know what works, what doesn't work. And so it's about then saying, I really love this, what do you think? And, you know, most of the time it works, but every now and then, like with Steph, for instance, we started with a different dress for her second dress and she was like, do you know what, this is not me. Yeah, I, I'm feeling really uncomfortable. And I was like, cool, then we'll just do something else because I don't want you to feel uncomfortable. That's yeah. that's not what this is about. And then so we just sort of re, you know, hashing ideas together, sketching different things, showing different concepts, materials. And then we ended up where we did with the second dress, which I absolutely adored. And that sometimes does happen in this process. But if you're not working with the right person um, or designer, you might not have that flexibility. Yeah. I, the way I've sort of found it to be have, going through the suit tailored experience is you've got to be open. It's sort of like when you go to, you know, like the, I remember the days of when I, I was very particular about how I got my hair cut. And I'm like, <laughs> I want to be like this person. And then the hairdresser would look at it and go, well, your hair doesn't really look like that person, right? <laughs> so you go there and you're like, no, 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 but I want I want this haircut and they do it and it never turns out and like then you're the way disappointed. you want it. And then you're disappointed, right? <laughs> and then it was, it was one when I started seeing my uh, barber, Summer, and she had electric brain down in, uh, mm-hmm. they actually just moved to uh, Brunswick East, but they're in Fitzroy. It's a long way away. It's a long way. <laughs> I still go, I, she's, she just had her daughter as well. She'll be breastfeeding, <sighs> then she'll put her down and then cut my hair. Yeah. Um, so it's she, a crazy time. Crazy, crazy Good time. Good on her. Good on her. Yeah. She, so I want to continue to support her because we, we get along pretty well. Um, but she sort of showed me that you need to just go with how your your body and your hair fall, so to speak. Yeah. And it was the same thing with suits, and I could see it would be the same with dresses. Absolutely. Particularly after watching the way that designers will come up with a dress. I never thought about it, but they'll often grab, and I can see where you start with the fabric. They'll, they'll just flow it on themselves and see how the actual fabric falls. falls. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing, right? Absolutely. And also with clients, like, you know, you might have a client come in and they want to wear a certain silhouette of dress, but that particular silhouette looks great on a tall, wafy body and they're yeah. five foot nothing and, you know, <laughs> a little bit podgy. And you have to sort of in a really polite way identify that that's not going to look the same. Mm. And obviously being a bride, you are emotionally, you know, heightened. Um, so it is a really... Language is a huge thing in bridal, is learning how to delicately deliver messages <laughs> um, so that you don't obviously offend, but you also get the ultimate outcome for them. Because, you know, I don't want anyone to step out on their wedding day and, and not feel like they are just, you know, the absolute optimum version of themselves. Yeah. It's about guiding the person into what you know is best for them. Absolutely. And, you know, if you're a really minimal, modern, clean person in the way that you dress 
there's no point going and putting something on that's heavily embellished and mm. got a million different elements because that's not going to feel you. No. And so it's about, you know, the way that girls, when they walk in, the way that they dress often gives me so many indicators of the path that they're going to go down, <laughs> um, which they don't understand. But that's one thing that I always look at because it gives you an understanding yeah. of what they sort of might end up in. Yeah. And so that's something that Lauren's learned recently. Like she had this idea of what she wanted and, um, she realized like she hates lacy things cause it makes her itchy. <laughs> um, and she sort of, I think this, the, she found, we actually know the Mancusos through a friend yes, and oh. she really likes this. She worked out that the style, I don't know what you call it, but the style that Bridie had is sort yes. of what actually suits her. Yeah, it would. It as would gorgeous. As opposed to sort of, um, she thought of like it'd be like this backless thing, and yeah. um, you but know, how long often sleeves. She put on a big ball gown. That's what yeah, I often say I mean, to yeah. so many you know girls as well. Like the um, consultants that we have in store, they're used to seeing our garments on so and gowns on so many different bodies, and also they know what works with your body. So you know, let them guide you a little bit because yeah. it's often something unexpected that you'll feel amazing in, but at the same time, you know there are certain silhouettes that work with certain bodies as yeah. well. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. People just need to realise it and yeah, accept it. Sometimes you can't tell people. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, they, they you've don't just got to let listen. them go. <laughs> now, this, this you mentioned before about you can tell when someone walks in the way they dress what's going to suit them. Mm. And one of the things I had around was, you know, before the process was stemmed from you putting the fabric probably on and, and sketching from there, mm. I'm guessing, what um what non bridal styles really inspire how you think about the brand? So as in who do I draw from? Yeah, yeah. Um, look, like are I'm, there particular designers that you've always really liked? Um, I always don't look at bridal for inspiration. Like yeah. you will never ever see bridal on my board. <laughs> like I have a million Pinterest boards, by the way. They're okay. all secret, and there's many of them. <laughs> um, but there will never be anything bridal on there. It's uh, you know I often look to a lot of red carpet and a lot of um, ready to wear designs as well. Mm. So you know Australia's des- um, ready to wear designers I think are at the forefront of fashion. Your Zimmermans and Scanlans, but just looking at the different neckline cuts and shapes and how people people use fabrics differently is really interesting to me. And what we do a lot of in-house and which I really enjoy as part of my role is fabric innovation. So we actually work with different mills to develop different types of fabrics. And, you know, one particular fabric that we use a lot of called a bonded Georgette came out of me doing a lot of red carpet and and was using neoprene, which is like scuba, like fabric, because <laughs> it doesn't crease. It looks like it's sprayed on the body. It oh. hugs you. You know, it does all the right things, but I just didn't feel it was elevated enough for bridal. Mm-hmm. And so we worked with a mill in Korea and then in China to develop this fabric that is um, a Georgette that's bonded with a synthetic. And that gives you that kind of almost like a scuba feel, but a nicer luxe finish. Wow. And hugs, it's like Spanx on steroids, we say. So when you put it on your body, it like hugs you in, but you get this beautiful matte finish. And so doing things like that within the business then allows me to play with different ways that we can make different shapes on the body. And mm. you, you, You've got me thinking about the way that the industry, like right now you've got fast fashion, you've got ready to wear, sort of where you're probably designing four seasons in a year, right? And then maybe some brands might do two a year, yeah. so summer, sp- or spring, summer, autumn, winter. 
how often are you thinking about with these Pinterest boards, with your selection of fabrics, how often will you think about a new design season, so to speak? Yeah, absolutely. So we work 12 to 18 months ahead of a collection launch. Okay. So, which is quite a long lead time, as you can imagine. So, and then the collection. So I designed two for chosen per year and one for one day bridal. Okay. So three collections a year. And then we also have our product that we develop as well. So we've got jackets, pajama sets. What else have we got in there? <laughs> That's all I can remember for now. Um, veils is another one. Yep. Jewelry. We do a lot of jewelry. Bit of jewelry there. So there's for me it never ever ends. Yeah. Ever. And with the designing for um the wedding gowns, what I tend to do is come up with a collection, but it's almost like a rolling um sampling so that when it comes so we've always got new samples happening and coming in and then when it comes to the time of the collection, I'll pick my 12 strongest and mm. the ones that tell a story together and they'll be put forward as the collection and there might be probably still about six or seven or eight that don't make the cut. And how often are you travelling a year to places to view things like fabric, manufacturing process and so on? Pretty much every month. Really? So it's been it's, – so look, I don't plan on doing that next year. <laughs> but this year, like I, I – yeah, um, we show in New York twice a year at New York Bridal Fashion Week. We then go to Premier Vision, which is Paris, to view fabrics. Um, we manufacture in China and we visit – we're really um, – really strong on visiting our fat, uh, factories quite consistently mm. and also ensuring that the way that the product is made in the environment is a good environment. So we visit them pretty much every two months. Um, where else do we go? And then around America to, to visit our stockists. Who's your favourite airline to fly with? Qantas. <laughs> <laughs> You've got that. I tried Virgin. I tried. Oh, I can't do it. I can't do no. it. I went back. My do husband you, flies Virgin. Do you him. have frequent flyers? I do. Okay. Do you, I hope um, I hope your sister's now in charge of finance has gotten <laughs> you guys sorted with your frequent flyers. Because she has. She got straight onto that Amex. Yeah. And, we yeah. earn a lot. That's one good thing about owning a business is those frequent flyers. Absolutely. Like I think I've already worked out that we can get a uh, first class return flight from Melbourne to Dubai for our honeymoon. Incredible. Yeah, with the points that we've got, um, which is awesome. It's so good. It's Yeah. yeah, I did – I do travel a lot. I do love it though. Yeah. It's a part of my job now. It's fun. Which it's, it, look, it's not always fun. It's definitely has its moments and leaving the family is hard. Um, but but it makes you appreciate them. It makes me appreciate. And also it, you know, it, I get, I don't like staying still. So it gives <laughs> me, you know, that little bit of a break from the business as well to think about the bigger ideas. Sometimes I think when you're in the business every day, like I had a stint where I think I was home for four months and I actually really needed the travel to just get away and think about the business differently because I'd mm. got so wrapped up in the operational day to day that I had stopped thinking ahead. I just was thinking day to day. Yeah, I'd I'd hundred percent agree with that. It just get, it gets you out of that sort of introspection illusion. Yeah, that <laughs> that illusion that we think we have everything going on, and I love it. We went to Japan recently. We did an interview with, some, with someone there. We we're meant to do two, but. Um, it's great. It just really, really gets you out of really to go to Japan. I've yeah. never been. It's a crazy place. It's <laughs> one of the only places on earth that you really feel like an outsider. Really? Yeah. It's really, really – like 97% of the population is Japanese. The only, only immigrants that live there are Koreans and Chinese. And That's so incredible. You, you're just uh, – like 
a lot of so we interviewed an Australian who who lives there. She's sort of part of like a big studio there, but she's a, a vlogger. So mm. they call them these J vloggers over there. They're basically people who are conduits between Japan and the West and they talk about life in Japan. It's so interesting. Yeah. So they're they're sort of in this weird expat place where they're not really locals and they're not really ex they're not really foreigners, if that makes sense. It, that makes sense. And they they often like will go to a restaurant and they'll still get like thrown a menu straight like English menu straight away or like no foreigners, no foreigners. Oh really? I didn't yeah. have expected Japan to be like Well, that. so they have this thing there. It, there's only three places in the world you get this, Greece, Japan, and most Arab countries, and they call it the public face and the private uh, face. Yes. So you have, like, different modes for family life and public life. And so in Japan, the way they the way it exhibits is through respect. Yes. So if you can't speak English f- perfectly fluently then they're not like their willingness to speak english with you is is very very low unless they're in a, like a tourism restaurant yeah. sort of space but we would regularly go to restaurants and they'd be like oh no no foreigners no english menu and you'd have to translate you'd either have to use google translate <laughs> yeah. or you would just go to another place it's really really interesting but then you get a lot of like they're totally open. It's just like they're they're deeply embarrassed. Embarrassed, if, yeah. You know, if the they dignity can't speak. is like bruised yeah, it's a, if it's they a real can't. dignity thing. Yeah. And I was I couldn't work it out until we made friends with these people in sort of regional Japan that they used to work in finance and they bought a bunch of old properties and they rent them out through Airbnb and so we just sit down there and chat with them and they tell us like yeah people just are really really wow. edgy about that sort of thing. I can understand that with sense. their culture. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah, like, so they're, they're very, like, you can't eat in public. Like, if you're going to eat, you have to stand still outside the shop and eat it. Yeah. They have taxes for, like, if you eat in store versus takeaway. Yes. Like, different levels of taxes, which is really strange. Mm. But it's a fascinating place. Yeah, really I really want to go place. there. I think the bridal industry there would be intriguing, to say the least. Well, I think in a lot of Asia, I don't know what Japan, I think Japan is the same, actually, is their, um, their culture is higher. So they're not actually bi. Yeah. So we we were planning to get married in Kyoto. Yeah. Wow. Um. And the big white Western wedding is huge there. Really. Absolutely massive. Didn't know that. Um. They do still have like traditional weddings, but um. They're becoming few and far between, or and oftentimes they'll do both. Like tea ceremony. No, well, China's tea. Yeah. It's ceremony. sort of like it's sort of like that. Like yeah. it's a Shinto ceremony. You sort of go to a temple and. Um, they'll have the, the families from either side and they'll do like the the official, you know, this is the joining of two families. They'll do that. There might be like 10 people there, but yeah. then afterwards they'll go have like a white wedding. That's yes. where they get like all the photos and they, and there's all these and the spaces. the pre-wedding, do they do, you see so many of, in Asian cultures, the pre-wedding shoots. Do they do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the pre, yeah, that is a thing, isn't <laughs> it's it? It's a thing over there. Yeah. Sometimes I work in Hong Kong at the loft, which is they, they stock our gowns both, one day bridal and chosen by one day. And yeah, it's really interesting. I love hearing about different cultures <laughs> and weddings. I find it fascinating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of pre wedding shoots. They get so many requests for pre wedding shoots. And also the culture over there is very much higher, not by. Yeah. We noticed this here. Like we've got a few um, friends from Malaysia and a, a few of those mm. couples um, have like gone and got. You know how you get like the save the date type invites? Yes, but they've it's done a the full shoot. shoot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're in like a ball gown or like a suit. Yeah. It's not the same thing they get married in. I'm like, wow. Yeah, and, and I've like, started noticing people doing that here. 
Interesting. And because yeah. they have generally about five different outfit changes too throughout the night in Chinese really? ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so right. it's like very intense changing. Yeah. Lauren and I literally had that debate because these friends had done it. And then um, another couple, like an Aussie couple, they went and did it and we're like, Wait, is this a thing this, now? Yeah. Should we be getting <laughs> and a, I'm like, a no, dress on? No, not at all. No, nope, not happening. Just design the invites, we'll send yeah. it out. But that that is, I know what you mean. Like um, different cultures of weddings is really interesting. Like my grandfather was Greek Cypriot, mm-hmm. married my grandmother who was sort of had that English-Irish background. Yeah. And back then they used to have a dowry, but it's not traditionally, like they don't give you money. It's just like in a... Uh, sort of like a process, like a traditionalness, yeah. if that makes sense. And so his mum, my uh, his yeah ye- yeah for my yes. dad, sat them down. They had special tea, and then they had citrus, like grapefruit and stuff in Australia back in the 1950s, which would have been crazy expensive. Yes. Um, and like the parents would be sitting there, and like oh, you know they did this whole so thing. Beautiful. And do you accept yeah. this? And blah blah blah. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, I love it is that really stuff. Uh, same. I find it fascinating. Yeah. The the stories and the relationships that come from that. All right. The dressmaking process. This is saying, as I watched this video, I, I really wanted to get an understanding of how you do it because you do it locally. We do. You own a lot of the manufacturing process, which I was saying off air is cumbersome, but will probably be good for you in the long run. It will, I think you n- need to have some... Uh, element of control over your product. Yeah, I think I mentioned to you off air and also earlier that we do manufacture some of our product in China and in India, and I think a lot of people are scared to say that as well, especially yeah. with a high price point product. But there is so much that goes into it to you know to get the product to the customer that I'm not scared of of having that conversation. And especially in America, when I go to America, they almost want to rip out the tags in the gown that say made in China. (laughs) And I have to tell them that's illegal and they can't do that. Really? Yes. Like, because they have, you know, this idea that anything you made in China is cheap. cheap, But as soon as I say, well, where do you think your Gucci bags made? (laughs) And they will say, well, oh, in Italy, no, sweetheart, that's, that's made in China. Yeah. yeah. You know, and your sneakers and probably everything you're wearing and maybe even your Rolex one day. (laughs) Have you ever thought about documenting and and having someone create a video around your entire process from start to finish? So funny. We, um, I had a client years ago who, um, owns a production company and she, we keep saying that we need to do this sort of documentary where it does follow me from the beginning, from the local to the international manufacturing and just, you know, follows exactly what happens throughout the whole journey from client to, you know, them essentially then picking up at the other end because it is really interesting and, and that's what fascinated me from the beginning yeah. to get into it. Oh, I'm going to I'm gonna note here to send you some stuff after this. There's something that I loved was um, Anthony Bourdain, bless his heart, uh, yeah. Do you know of Anthony Bourdain? Yes. Yeah. So he unfortunately passed away about a year ago and um, he did one of the only series outside of his TV show with Balvini. Mm. And Balvini is like a really high quality uh, scotch maker. And they went and documented the entire process and created it into, into series and it did so well that they made a series about other creators who make really niche things like motorbikes, leather jackets, all this sort of stuff. And it turned into like 12 episodes. Yeah, But it was just like that. a paid branded series. Interesting because it is like it is such an interesting, even where your clothes are made is interesting. Oh. I think the Iconic did something last year or the year before where they traced it to some degree in a really small yeah. short sort of clip, which 
you know, started to start that conversation around people sort of accepting the fact that, yes, a lot of, you know, to manufacture in Australia as much as I would love it to be, you know, 100% owned and 100% um, manufactured in Australia, the reality is that for a low price point product, you can't do that anymore. Mm. For our higher price point, absolutely. There's, you know, and we do, we do manufacture that in our workroom and we do finish everything here in our workroom. We quality control everything here. So everything comes back to Australia. Everything is put through our workroom here. But the thing with society today is they want, you know, it's that fast fashion. They want things yeah. cheaper and quicker. Yeah. And to do you, that, you, you need to, and also the scale and, and the skill level that we have here, you know, in China, there is millions of people that know that have, it's their culture to learn how to sew and to stitch and to manufacture garments or products. Whereas here, it's a really niche sort of role and, mm. and to find many people that can do that well is really hard. Yeah. I think the, the, You've said in interviews, uh, it sort of sounds like it's it's from an older generation. Absolutely. Like yeah. we've still, you know, we've got, you know, Grace who's 60 or 70, wow. Paulina who's 70. She's come back from retirement to help me out, you wow. know. So, there, you know, it is an ageing. And then the people that do come in at the other end are generally fashion students and they're extremely talented, And but they've got to learn. Yeah. So there's a lot to learn and there's a lot and of experience to be gained. Yeah. yeah. That's got me thinking about, talent and how how this sort of works like have you um you know because at suit shop they these guys are apprentice tailors okay interesting yes um so they 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 come across their like they're not retail attendants but they're guys helping there and they're sort of just helping you select your suit and everything but no they're actual tailors themselves so the training to be tailors Mm. have you thought about like did i can't remember i didn't get time to look but does dressmaking have an apprenticeship sort of um, it's most a lot of girls will go through fashion school, so that's almost uh-huh. like the apprenticeship to enter into the industry. Mm. Um, and then we do have a bit of a mentorship program through our work, where, for instance, at the moment we have an incredible pattern maker. She's been with me for years, but you know she's getting to the stage where she's going to want to go and have children and have a family and have her time. So she's training up one of the younger girls to then take over her role so she can have some time off. Uh-huh. So, um, And then, you know, the older ladies teaching the younger ones. So that happens naturally through the environment. But there is no set apprenticeship or a lot of the RMIT will often send us a lot of their students to do internships with uh-huh. us, um, which is fantastic. And they're really helpful and, and get, that in, get to work in an environment that doesn't really ordinarily exist here in Australia. So yeah, that's you, exciting for you them. You might be in a unique position as the business grows with Chosen in particular that um, that may became, become a thing. And I, like I said, I've, I've always found it fascinating that people go to uni to do X, Y, Z when you could be doing it on the job. 100% yeah. interesting. My global wholesale manager, she okay. went to uni, was studying marketing and right. was working for me as a receptionist at the time. And then started to get more involved with the business and really was enjoying sort of the challenge of what she could do within her role and how she also had opportunity within the business because the business was growing fast and we were sort of, there was new roles becoming available and she stepped in to help in wholesale. And now she she started off as just the Australian uh, Australian wholesale manager and now she's global and she does an incredible job and she dropped out of uni sort of half, she was a quarter of the way through. But she said, why would I continue to do that when I absolutely adore this? I'm learning so much more. 
and also, you know, we've got some really incredible talent that we've managed to attract from a management and seniority sort of level. Mm-hmm. And so she gets to be mentored by them. So she's like, this is all my dreams, yeah. in, <laughs> you know, in one. And I get, I've learned so much more. I feel that I've learned so much more. Yeah. I think you're going to be in the next few years a very enviable position, which which comes from being a leader in, in that regard yeah. and in that space. Um the the process of the actual dressmaking, I think there's obviously a difference between chosen and one day. There is. So yeah. one day one day being highly customized, chosen having a pattern, so to speak, already set and allowing you to adjust yeah, that. Certain small things. Yeah. Are the dresses already made or are you just going off patterns? Uh, off patterns. So okay. they're still made to order. We we don't hold stock essentially. Um, so every order that comes through is then placed as an order to our factories who have worked with us closely to identify how we like things made. We've sent our team over there to train them too mm-hmm. so that they stitch the way that we want them stitched and they you know, represent the brand and the product the way it should. And then, yes, One Day Bridal is made here in Melbourne a lot more sort of laborious, I'd say. Yeah. A lot more time, a lot more stages in the process as well. Yeah, so you'd have way more control over what's happening to it. It is literally a custom garment. 100%. Every single component. There's no, you'd have to make the pattern. So I guess for people who don't understand making clothes, you've got to, depends how you're doing it, right? If it's fully custom, the person tells you what they want. Okay, this is what's, this is my mood board. This is the sketches. Here's yep. the pattern. Identify the fabrics, fabrics. Different layering of fabrics to make sure that they all work together. What are the little extra pieces? Am I putting beads on this? I guess the main thing that people may not understand with wedding gowns I've learned is that you sort of design the bodice and then the skirt separately and then they join, right? No, always no? one. Always one? You you design the garment as a full garment. Right. Um, depending on the construction of the gown and depending on what it is that you're designing, it may have a bodice and skirt, but generally uh-huh. it is all designed as one. Really? Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. And, and so... Some and designers do like have interchangeable tops and skirts so yeah. that you can, you know... Wow. Take one from one and Choose one, one from, from the other. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's what, what suit shop does well, I mean I guess with suits a lot easier it's a lot blockier you like okay what lapel do you want what what buttons do you want exactly do you want your name stitched in the jacket stuff Such like a that nice little touch I love that I've, yeah. all my jackets <laughs> have got my name put in there I'm like yeah maybe uh, one day when we have some kids maybe they'll want to take well Pete this Johnson thing. and the, they do such an incredible job yeah. They really do. I remember my um, my grandfather. He was like an immaculate dresser, and he um, had like a few. Uh, was it Valentino? He had a few amazing, amazing suits, like Emporio Armani yeah, type incredible. suits back in like the fifties, and see, like All really Italian fabrics, expensive, and, crazy mm. suits that he would also wear to the beach. <laughs> Three-piece three suits to the beach. There's photos. I love that. There's photos of him. He. It's seriously so strange looking at those photos from that era. So, obviously born like late. No, he would have been born like early 1930s, and by the time he was 18, sort of the end of the war, and he's dressed in like this immaculate double-breasted suit, <sighs> sometimes with a, a vest. And uh, like a pencil mustache. <laughs> and I'm like, he is the woggiest looking dude you'll ever see. I'm like... Down at the beach. Yeah, down at the beach in a three-piece suit. And there's all these photos of him with these mates and they're like mucking around with, with dis- like obviously a disposable camera on film, mm. getting photos. It's it's really, really interesting to see Good that. Fun. Good fun. <laughs> um, 
All right, we're nearly about to crack over now, but I want to ask you a few quick things about the business before we sure. we jump into these rapid fire questions. Uh, we spoke before this about what Elon Musk says about business. You're basically chewing on broken glass and staring into the abyss. You've had you gave me some shocking stories. <laughs> um, I feel like that is the thing that makes you as a business person. You either sink or swim at that moment. What are some of the worst examples you've had uh, from a manufacturing side of things, uh, customers, whatever it may be? What's what's the one thing that you can talk about that, that still that gives you talk about that you. still gives you nightmares to this day? Um, oh, there's so many, and I think. I explained to you before, I feel like every day there's new hurdles, there's new fires to be put out. And I think as part of having your own business, that is something that you do daily. But, you know, some of the real doozies, um, manufacturing, you know, that it has its and dealing with different suppliers, it really does have challenges. And one thing as you know, we have an iconic gown called the Nala gown, which is incredible and it's beautiful on this, you know, really fine tool, fully embellished. Mm. Um, and we had a, we did a, actually a, a huge stock order so that we, cause we were selling them quite well. And we thought, you know what, we'll get a few backups and, and make sure that we can actually maybe even, cause a lot of girls sometimes want rush dresses as well and sometimes we can't most of the time we can't accommodate that <laughs> yeah. so you know we really bulked up on this fabric thinking you know this is a good thing to do we're getting prepared we're getting prepared for a really busy season um we're going to be able to respond to these quick orders and and get ahead and the delivery came and the tool that they had used was completely different in color in texture in weight in drape in every facet that it could be different it was different and looked very different to the eye so there was no way known that we could sell any any of that fabric and also that led us into the issues of we've got to deliver gowns to customers in time for a wedding dress. It's a pretty hard date yeah. that, you know, that is not negotiable. And saying that we probably have a minimum of three months turnaround. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, on India it's four. So Jeez. it's, you know, it was a lot and that you've got to think really quickly and get onto it and India at the best of times isn't fast. Mm. So what did you do? How did you solve I that mean, problem? we negotiated with the factory. We sourced our own ground fabric so and sent it to them and said, you need to resolve this and you need to beat onto this fabric. Yeah. Because um, we couldn't afford to have an, another stuff up, another fuck up on yeah. their behalf. Um, we didn't have the time. Um, we were already shuffling customer orders and also trying to deliver, you know, seeing what how we could move other customer orders so that we could deliver those that were more urgent. Mm. And essentially we got there. No one went without wedding gown, but it was one of those times where everyone was sort of almost sort of pacing around the office to some degree trying to work out how they were going to fix their piece of the puzzle. <laughs> what's the What's the biggest meltdown you've had? How, uh, how long is that? Have you had one? I'm, I'm a very chilled person yeah. it's one thing do you know and one person that worked with me once she said do you know what Kaya sometimes the strangest things set you off and you go wild and it's just not a non-issue and then the things that are major and actually a really big problem you're always as cool as a cucumber yeah I um, have that too I'm, I actually thrive in stressful yeah. like things that are really dire I don't like being in it anymore yeah. I used to thrive probably a little bit more than I do these days these days I'm like oh I like a little bit more stability <laughs> but I do go into that problem solving mode where mm. you just have to take charge 
and start to come up with different ideas and plans. And I do like that part of it, I yeah. must admit. I do thrive in that a little bit. And other people freeze. That's what I've noticed is other people do like yeah. freeze and don't know what to do. Um, but as long as you've got a solution, it's fine. <laughs> that is one really, really tough thing about the business that you're in is like, and, and I've always known this through my auntie and uncle's business, that in retail, like you, you're putting up this money to to manufacture this thing and hoping it turns out right. <laughs> yeah. And if it screws up, it's like there's there's no insurance for it. It's, no, and it's especially those like, early days where you're taking you those big it. leaps yeah. where you don't know – you know, to this day, we're still a self-funded business, which I don't, I still don't understand how we've got this far. <laughs> I still, and you know, it, that has caused a lot of issues within itself with the cash flow. Yeah. But um, in the past, but it, you know, you, you know, when you have to get a new space or you're moving out of the second bedroom, or you have to, you know, you put new staff on and then you've got to get them computers, like all of those things, like accumulate. And I often, when we've sort of done some of the bigger things, like take a new retail space or a new commercial lease, and I'm like, I have no idea how we're going to afford this. <laughs> it doesn't make sense with the numbers, but if we don't do it, we can't grow. So let's just go for it. Yeah. I think having a bit of no fear, you know, calculated fear to some degree yeah. has worked. Yeah. There's some sort of margin, margin there. There's always like a, you know, all particularly with cash flow, it's like, oh, I don't know where this next, uh, like three months from now, I'm good for three months, but I don't know where. The- I don't want to look beyond that. I don't yeah, yeah. Look. just don't, like I know, and you know in your head, um, but you just keep, pu- and that's what keeps you pushing in a way. It's sort yeah. of like that that Parkinson's law. It's sort of like, it's like a forcing function in a way. Absolutely. You've and got I to also have it think sorted. when you're the owner of the business or the entrepreneur, you have this, you never ever think it's going to fail. Like no. That's something I've never, ever thought. I've never, ever thought that I was going to fail. I was thinking about that on the way here is that it's never crossed my mind. No. It's always going to work out. Well, that's why you're an entrepreneur because yeah. opti- you have to be optimistic. <laughs> Very. In some way. <laughs> yeah. At least for your own thing. You've got to be completely and utterly delusional because if you look at the statistics. <laughs> such a good word. <laughs> like if, if you look at the statistics, you're just bound to fail. But oh. that is why people go into business, right? Absolutely. Yeah. It's good fun sometimes. <laughs> the, fu- the roller coaster. It is a roller coaster. Uh, the future, I know you're thinking about uh, expanding chosen internationally you you've you've gone to the bridal shows and you you've seen in New York that uh, really brands brands like one day and in Australia that we're sort of at the forefront now what are you thinking with America are you think of opening your own store or are you thinking stocking well at the moment we stock to 16 places in America okay. so and they're doing really well for us we've got some great stockists Um and they're incredible. We visit them a lot. I think we will, you know, we are looking to expand our retail footprint both mm. um, locally and internationally. And it's just about where the data leads us to those locations. Um, Sydney, LA, right? Sydney uh, or New yeah. York? Look, we've got a fantastic stockist in Sydney as well. So it's, you know, about juggling. Wholesale has been a really good part of our business. Uh-huh. Um and so has online. So we need to make sure that we keep those relationships strong, mm. don't upset anyone. <laughs> um, also make sure that we're making the right decisions for the business and the retail side of the business. Uh, but I do think that will that's the next plan for us is to expand. We've just rebuilt our website, which launches late December, which is exciting. Ooh. I hate website rebuilds. Yeah. I feel like I have to always do them. you got to do one every three years. They're Why? always out of I feel day. like I just finish one <laughs> yeah. and then I have to start a new one. Yeah. <laughs> so that launches and it's looking incredible, which I'm really excited about. 
That's exciting. It is exciting. And a few other things in the pipeline that will come out later. Okay. Very exciting. I think, uh, as I said to you off camera, the more you can own in that chain, the better. But, um, you, you know, 10 years, I'm excited for when you come back in three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, yes. looking back on things. Um, have you ever daydreamed or thought of getting your daughter involved one day? Because, <laughs> like, my dad has always tried to get me involved in his business. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I can't, my dad owned his own small business. Yeah. So, you know, I've come from that environment of being a family and a product of a small business and it allows that flexibility. It's extremely stressful. There's long hours, but there is something really special about it. Mm. I do bring Willa to work in school holidays and she sits with the pattern maker Dom and makes Barbie clothes at the desk and doll clothes and goes and grabs all the fabric scraps, which is really beautiful to watch. Yeah. Whether she goes down that path, I don't know. She'll look back fondly, I know for sure. She'll always have a thing for fabric. Yeah, well, let's <laughs> hope so. Good fabric at least. <laughs> Good fabric, yeah. Like my little weird thing for, um, what is it, paper and uh, ink and all that sort of stuff. Is, it's so dumb, but I just find myself, whenever I see a new book, I like I go to smell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it smells good though, right? It smells great. There's nothing like fresh paper. All right, rapid fire questions for you. Yeah. Uh, what does your morning routine look like? So I get up quite early, five o'clock most mornings. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, we'll scan socials and emails and any other platform that I might have on my phone um, and then exercise and then school okay. to drop Willa off at school or sometimes the nanny comes depending on what I've got on that day. And what do you do for exercise these days? What's your go-to? Pilates and running. Pilates two. running? Yeah. Okay. Uh, evening routine, how do you sort of decompress at night? I'm pretty easy on the decompress. It's something I've always been really good at. I Once I get home from work, I like to come home switched off from work. So as soon as I jump in the car, once I've finished, I'll try and get all my work done at work for the day. And then once I jump in the car, I'll usually listen to a podcast. It's sort of how I get home. I've got a long drive home in traffic. So really? Well, from South Melbourne to Black Rock, uh, peak yeah, hour, yeah, it's yeah. not fun. No. So I've usually got a, a good hour and a bit. Um, and then once I get home, it's, you know, getting Willa to bed. And then I don't generally won't log back on till mm-hmm. the morning. So that's sometimes you have to. It's just how it is. But um, especially dealing with it, we work with America a lot and they're often at night. We need to come online for them but um, and China also. But I'll try not to touch my phone as much as I can <laughs> at night or emails. <laughs> It's very hard. It's very, very, it's hard. very hard. But I'm quite, I get quite tired by night, yeah, I must yeah. admit, and I find that my brain is just done. Yeah, well, if you're waking up at five, you'd be you'd Five's be when I'm of, on. Yeah. Like, I'm on at five. You'd be out of it by nine or ten at night, exactly. surely. And I find I go to work to be there for everyone else. Yeah. A lot of the time, more so than myself. So that five to seven is like when I get- When you get your stuff done. Yeah, 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 that's go time. Um. Are you Netflix, YouTube, Netflix? Netflix? Yeah. What have you been watching recently? I just finished 13 Reasons Why. Okay. Yeah. And then last night I watched the Bikram documentary. Yeah. What, how was that? Yeah. A bit creepy because I'd done a lot of Bikram yoga yeah. and I didn't know the story behind it. And Lauren now I'm like, hates Bikram. She, she, she's got <laughs> so this. So does Jack. Jack. I took him once and he turned around to me on the mat when we we're lying down and goes, when the fuck is this over? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She reckons she nearly passed out because um, they the instructors like tell you not to drink water during the process. No. And she's just very, 
Like we're both clearly born and bred Victorians, cool climate types. <laughs> like the heat. Is, so for our honeymoon, we're obviously going to go back to Cyprus and we're going to go back and see some of her family in Germany. But we're looking at places like Norway. Yeah, Bikram wouldn't be for her Bikram then. is not the, And she did it and she's like, I honestly, like the lady told me not to drink and I wanted to punch her lights yeah. out. Like, yeah, that does not. And because it's pretty intense. Like even when intense. you've been doing it a long time, it's still intense. Yeah. But, yeah, so I watched that last night. It was interesting. We watched – we finally finished The Irishman last night. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for that. No. It's the new Scorsese film. It's sort of – it's really, like, reminiscent of The Godfather. If you like The Godfather Mm. 2, you'll really like this. I haven't watched that either. She's never seen it. She's like, yeah, I actually really like – the style that he does films, It's there's no music in it. There's, like, very little music in it. So it's just all a lot of negative just, space almost? Yeah, yeah. Like, it's 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 really just, like, real life. Like, I just noticed that there's very – it was weird. And it goes for a long – it goes for three and a half hours. But does it keep you, like – Yeah, like, you don't know what's happening ever. <laughs> you don't know what's happening ever, but it's based on this real guy, Ed Sheeran, um, this Irish guy. It's it's super fascinating. But if you like Good The one. Godfather, you, you go watch that. Good one to add to the list. Always looking for new ones. And I feel like Netflix is a maze. It's There's so much stuff that you don't know about that's in there. Yeah. Do you find that Netflix – so I thought Netflix, okay, it's good because there's lots of content, but now I find it's good just because there's new stuff coming out because Mm. all of a sudden, like, I'll find something that's been on there for, like, two years and I'm like, how the fuck – did yeah. I not find this earlier? This is really frustrating. I know because I feel like there's so much content on there that you just, it, yeah. 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 There's so I many often series. download it for on the plane, though. How do you do that? Like on your, on your phone, you can download episodes and okay. then especially flying, because I've, to China, sometimes I fly China Southern, mm-hmm. and Crazy Rich Asians is about as much as they're offering on there. <laughs> so you, once you've watched that a few times, you need some new content. Wow. And so often, yeah, on my phone, I'll watch a lot of series. Could you do that on the iPad? Lauren's got a spare iPad. Yeah, probably. I haven't tried on the iPad, only mm. on my phone. Maybe I should look into that. It's very good for planes. Um, all right, last question for you. If you could have a billboard anywhere in Victoria... Where would it be, first of all, for placement? Placement's key, I think. Yeah, placement is key. Um, And what would you put on it? What would it say? (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. It would definitely be, I don't know what the bridge is called, but as you come from the airport and you're going towards the Balti. Yep. Because I feel like that's just everybody goes past that on the way from the airport into Melbourne. I know the one you're talking about. Um, What would it say? God. I have no idea, but because we're so image-based, it'd just probably be an image of a gown. <laughs> That's enough said. Buy it. Yeah, yeah, just buy. Come Please. in and buy. Get married. <laughs> propose. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever thought about like what billboard ads would look like for one day? It's interesting. So my dad, his business was signage. Uh-huh. Um, and so he used to do all of the tri-vision. He used to make all the tri-visions. You know, the old yeah, school yeah, ones yeah, that yeah. used to turn. And, you know, then got into digital billboards for the AFL and all of that sort of stuff. Um, so I feel like, yeah, it would definitely work. But I, I think with Bridal, you'd probably capture more by a sh- like, yeah, um, exactly. short film or Makes something. Makes absolutely yeah. no sense. Yeah. I think like um, <laughs> that was one thing you did really well in an interview. You spoke about the fact that you're trying all these different channels like bridal magazines and fairs and mm. stuff like that. And then you realise, well, most of our customers just come from social media, so why bother? Exactly. Like, it's just that classic 80-20 principle. We had that thing recently. I was trying to cold sell for six months and then I went back and I looked at it and like, 
80% of our people have either listened to the podcast, found us on LinkedIn, or are within our network in some way. Absolutely. Why, why bother? Yeah. What are Just your thoughts on TikTok? Uh, TikTok, I would 100% uh, get on because I think it's the ch- the platform that will truly challenge Instagram. So do I. I don't think they've, they've found anything that can uh, beat. So the problem with Instagram right now, which I've been studying – uh, so Reddit has like a lot of really good groups in the media space that talk mm. about just things that are happening in media. And so the Instagram Reddit is really good for measuring statistics. One guy who has a channel, it's got about a million followers, yes. has gone from, let's say, an average of a million views per video to 200,000. Wow. Yeah. So, and he, and he, he measured it from June to October and- he was trialing out paid at the same time and it's quite clear that now on Instagram we're getting 5 to 10% of the – because we get clients asking us this all the all time. It's interesting on TikTok because we've just started looking at it. We've had videos that have had 50,000 views. Wow. I've got 60 followers. The discoverability on TikTok is like no other platform. Yeah, you won't get it on YouTube. You won't get it on LinkedIn. You won't get it on Instagram. And you definitely won't get it on Facebook and yeah, you Facebook sure as shit won't get it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So tw- it, TikTok- Does Twitter even exist anymore? Does I, anyone use it? I don't know if you've been on it recently, but I find it's just so negative. It's like Snapchat too. Does anyone use Snapchat Not anymore? Not really. No. no. I, I re-downloaded it the other day and it was actually been so long since I used it. I got like a security notification saying like, <laughs> hey, you've de- you've logged into Snapchat on, uh, on a mobile device we don't recognize. It's like, oh wow, it's been mm. that long. But yeah, I don't I think Instagram is sort of the platform. Absolutely. Unless you're something like us where you know, video for YouTube, mm. LinkedIn, because it's a bit more business focused. Absolutely. But for you guys, like I just think there's unlimited real estate on TikTok. To yes. have if you can get brides like in the You know that um, little one where they like yeah. and they change. How fun would that be? Stuff like that would be <laughs> amazing. Like we made one about the Toto toilets in Japan and how we were playing the background in the background the song Toto in Africa. <laughs> that had like 30,000 views. It's crazy. It's just, it's, yeah. I, you've got to get on it. Yeah. You've well, we started, it. but we're just trying to, it's it's hard. Yeah, it's very hard. <laughs> it, it requires a lot of creativity, but yeah, um, yeah it's, it's definitely it's not as easy as it. throwing a photo up with a caption. That's God, sure. no. Well, look, thanks for coming in. Thank you. We've, uh, I've just gone over time. It's one thirty-five, but thank, yes. you. thank you. Uh where can people find you on the interwebs? They can find us at www.onedaybridal.com.au mm-hmm. and on Instagram, which is where most people go to, yeah. at one day bridal or at chosen by one day. Yeah. Chosen at one but one day bridal is the one that like every single time now Lauren logs into <laughs> Yeah, it's like the first Thing. I I'm love like, that. Jeez, I've been superseded. <laughs> That's brilliant. Good to know. Right. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. Ta. Thanks for tuning into the episode, guys. If you like the episode, do leave us a rating on your podcast app. If you want to follow us for regular updates, it's at uncommon underscore show on Instagram. Search for us on YouTube, Uncommon Show. And don't forget, of course, to subscribe. Until next time, thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by Neural Media. Are you an entrepreneur or marketer who needs help making podcasts, video or animation? 
Perhaps you don't have time to manage a freelancer or the budget to deal with an agency. Well, Neural Media can help you with simple and affordable content creation, saving you time and money by taking away the pain of producing that content. To learn more, head to neural.com slash media. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E.com slash media. Play around with our pricing or request a callback directly. Listeners to the show receive a special discount by using the promo code UNCOMMON. 